Welcome to the Providence Church Podcast. For more Providence Church, visit us online at provchurch.net. That's P-R-O-V-Church.net. Let's get into it. All of us have the ability, by God's grace in our hearts, and when his love touches us, to be generous, more generous people. And generosity is actually contagious. And once the train of generosity gets rolling, you want to get in. You want to get on that train. I love what the, some of the churches in India, I was reading about this this week. There's churches in the northeastern Indian state of Mizoram. And they have a beautiful phrase to express the way they give to God. They call it, I can't speak it, but Buhafi Tom, Buhafi Tom. And it means one handful of rice at a time. Here's how it works. Families in the church set aside a portion of rice at every meal for God. So they have their meal together and they pull back a little bit of rice and put it aside. And when they collect enough rice, they donate it to their local church. And the church turns around and sells the rice to generate some income for their ministry, for their work. Well, back way back, a hundred and some years, in 1914, they started this. They used the sale of this rice to raise a dollar fifty. It was amazing back in 1914, a dollar fifty. Lately, and this is ten years ago, these Christians have been collecting 1.5 million dollars. So it went from a dollar fifty to 1.5 million in a hundred years, and they support 1,800 missionaries out of those funds. So everybody puts a little bit of rice aside and they bring it. And then when they sell it, all that happens. Awesome. And it, people also started giving in some creative ways. They bring vegetables, they bring firewood, other resources that come into the church. One church leader said, there are many ways of serving the Lord. Some people do great things. Some people are great preachers. Some people contribute lots and lots of money. But when we talk about this handful of rice, it is very humble. The service is done in the corner of the kitchen where nobody sees, but God knows and he blesses it. And another church member said, it is not in our richness or our poverty that make us serve the Lord, but our willingness. So we Midzo people say, as long as we have something to eat every day, we have something to give to God every day. I love that story. It gets at the heart of what it means to be generous because you don't have to have a lot to be generous. You just have to have a heart that's willing to be generous, a love. There's something hardwired into us that light, lights up when we have the opportunity to be generous and to bless other people and to surprise them with an act of love or an act of grace that not only lifts them up, but also when you're generous, here's what happens. Not only are you helping someone else and lifting them up, but something happens in your own heart. And it fills your heart in a way that helps you and me be more like our Father in heaven. Because that's really what he's after. He wants us to be like him. And we know how generous our heavenly Father is. So we are generous. We get to practice being more and more like our Father in heaven. And I want to say this. The message today is not about money. It might include money, but it's not just about money. This, this is our core value. Our core value is it's about living generously. We are contributors, givers, before we are consumers, takers. So there's a giving and there's a taking. And God wants us to be givers. 
And that encompasses every part of our lives. So it could be your time. Are you generous with your time? Because we all have time. 24 hours into the day. We, none of, that's one thing. We, it's all equal. We, we, you know, we might have different levels of income, but we all have the same amount of time to invest in people's lives or strengths. But some of you have specific strengths that God's given you, gifts that God has given you, that you, things that you're good at, things that when you bring that thing to the table, it helps other people. So are you generous with your strengths? Not just using them on you, but helping them, helping other people. Your gifts, your home is also a resource that you can be generous with. I was blessed to grow up over at the Buck, and I shared this before, my grandparents, Dick and Marion, who uh, they've been going for a few years now. But my goodness, they were some of the generous people. And, and every time I'd get down to their house, it seemed like somebody else was walking through their door. And it could be lunchtime in the middle of the day, middle of the week, and Grandma would say, hey, come on in, sit down. There's an extra plate. Pull up a chair. That's how she was, literally. She'd, and food just multiplied. Like, I don't know where it came from, but it just kept multiplying, like the fish and the loaves. And so there was always somebody popping in to sit down at their table. And I was, for me, as a, as a seven, eight, nine, ten 10-year-old boy, I was like paying attention. Wow, this is cool. Like this kind of hospitality and using your resources and hosting people is really a blessing. So faith is also something. Encouragement is something you can give generously. And if you have finances, God's blessed you financially, then you give financially. The call on our lives is instead of just being takers, consumers, that we are committed to being givers, contributors, knowing that fundamentally we have a God who is a giver. So, so what motivates God to give? His love. His love motivates him to give. For God so loved that he gave. In fact, it's interesting because when you think about God, he is, he is positioned to be a taker. God could be the ultimate taker. Because he has all power, all authority, all knowledge, all strength. He can do anything. And so he obviously, if he, could, if he wanted to, he could demand things from us. He could require things from us. He could be the, the taker, always just receiving, receiving, receiving. But the Bible says he is a first a giver. He's a giver. He's generous to the core. And the fact is that he, the, fa the fact that he is also the most joyful being in all of the universe, the very, at the very source of our joy, where do we get joy from? We get it from a relationship with God, that our joy is, to, is, is tied to our relationship with him. And he is surrounded by joy. One of the beautiful things about heaven is that it's, it's the most joyful place we will ever, 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 ever see and be in and be a part of. Joy just pours out of, because wherever God is, there's joy. And so God's in, is on the throne of heaven. So I can imagine that that's the most joyful place in, in any sphere of cre all of creation. Wow. There's something that about the connection between joy and giving and between deep soul level, soul level satisfaction and living generously. So they were talking about some folks in, in America. One of the things, of course, that people have to do is work, typically, right? And, and when it comes to work, it says that nearly 70% of Americans cite work as a major source of stress in their lives. Oh, okay, there you go. Perfect. Over half of Americans report being unsatisfied and unhappy with their jobs. 
How can the typical worker find a little more satisfaction? Well, there's a guy at the Wharton School of Business who offered a, some advice. He said, become a giver at work. Based on his research, this guy identified three basic kinds of workers. There are takers, there are matchers, and there are givers. Takers see the workplace as a competitive dog-eat-dog place. If I don't look out for myself first, takers think no one will. Matchers believe that work relationships are governed by an even exchange of favors. You do something for me, I do something for you, right? In contrast, givers are other-focused, paying more attention to what other people need from them. Their hallmark is generosity at work. What can I do? How can I serve you? How can I help you? Surprisingly, Grant said, had found that only 8% of people describe themselves as givers at work. That's because most people assume that the workplace, in the workplace, givers will never get ahead in their career. Also, when people are stressed out at work, their first instinct is to retreat into a taker mentality. But this guy's research consistently shows that givers are among the most successful people in the marketplace. They also may be the happiest. In one study, he found that givers who were high school teachers were less vulnerable to stress and exhaustion if they saw the impact their giving was having on their students. Being a giver at work also has lasting benefits on well-being outside of the work. And he goes on and on. He says, would you rather achieve success at work that comes at the expense of others or in ways that lift other people up? Being a giver. Do you know why generous living is so important? One of the reasons why it's so important is because it compels us, it causes us to think about other people and not just ourselves. We're really good at thinking about ourselves. In fact, we don't have to try to think about ourselves. We're, we're actually, in the, in, in, in the, in the selfish way, we're, we're just wired to think a lot about ourselves. And we're, we're born that way. Which really starts, so it really starts to expand. If you want to, to, to be generous, it starts to expand our capacity to love. Because you want to, if you want to grow in your love for other people, one of the ways you can grow in your love for other people is start being generous. You want to learn how to love better? Start being more generous. You want to learn how to care for other people better? Start being generous. Giving, giving, giving. Now, there's a cautionary t parable that Jesus tells in, in Luke chapter 12. You have your Bible. We're going to go to the 12th chapter of Luke this morning and talk about, it's, it's a story about the anti-generous guy. The guy that we don't want to be like. So if you have your scripture open there this morning, it's a great season for this too because it's harvest season. So if you've been paying attention out in the fields this past week, a lot of guys are bringing in their corn. Combines are flying. The, the, the trucks are loading up, piling up. They're going to the granaries. So it's harvest time. I love it. It's one of my favorite times of year. And so verse 13 of Luke chapter 12, it says this. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. He said, The ground of a certain rich man, a farmer, produced a, a good crop. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? 
I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of good things to eat. You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. The Ecclesiastes version of living. Just soak it in, love it, live it, laugh it, and, and have a good time along the way, right? So that's what he was saying. But God said to him, verse 20, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Verse 21, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. It's one of my favorite phrases, being rich toward God. Orienting your life around loving and pleasing and honoring and prioritizing God. He said, you're not doing that. You're, you're, you're thinking about your barns and your, all the stuff you have for yourself, but, but tonight it's all going to end. Hmm. A fundamental part of being rich toward God is living generously. If you want to be rich toward God, kids, big kids, learn how to live more generously. If you want to choke out the joy and the fulfillment and the satisfaction and the meaning that God intends for you to experience in life, then let greed start to put a stranglehold on your heart. Watch out for the stranglehold of greed. That's in your outline this morning. And that's what it does. It, it chokes you off. It chokes off the, the things that God wants to do in your life. The, the, the power and the, the, the blessing he wants to bring into your life. Greed, and there's a lot of definitions, but one I found, greed is an insatiable desire for more than you need. And the problem with greed is that it's never satisfied. Ortberg, Ortberg calls it the myth of more. I love that phrase, the myth of more. The mistaken belief that once I get that, whatever that is, once I get that, then I'll be content. So once I get that house, then I'll, have, then I'll have what I need. Once I get that car, then I'll, once I get that phone, then I'll, I, got, I do have to say it's a funny thing because this week something happened. Or, so a couple, I don't know, it was a month ago, I got a new phone. It's been, been, I don't know, six years, seven years. Finally went from an eight, an iPhone eight, we're up to 15s now, to an 11. So I scaled three, you know, levels. I was like, wow, nice phone, right? Then this week, Heather needs a phone. Her, she had an eight. I thought she was getting an 11. She got a 13. And now I'm like, honey, you're up in your game on me here. Now I got to get a 14. No, no. I mean, that's the thing. But see, well, it illustrates my point. The myth of if I have that thing, then I'll, right? Then I'll have, or that if I have that job, or then if I have that position, or if I have that relationship, once I have that, then I'll be content. But there's a couple issues with that. One of the biggest issues with that is that that, whatever that is, gets worn out and gets old and gets ho-hum. After a while, that thing you had to have it starts to lose its luster. And you have it for a while and you go, you know, it's kind of nice, but, you know, maybe I need to get a new one of them. 
right? That thing's kind of, you know, I don't care. Whatever it is, whatever that is for you, it's going to wear out. It's going to get old, and it's going to not have the same shine that it had when you got it out of the box or you got it off the lot or you moved into it when it was brand new. The other issue with the mythem is that the neighbor gets more of that. Okay, that's the other problem when you put your stock in that. The neighbor gets more of it. And then you've got envy to battle, and that starts to choke out your joy. So greed says, I want my grass to be as green as his grass. But then envy takes it a whole nother level. We just need his grass to turn brown. All right? That's where that leads to. I want really green grass. Man, I, I deserve some green grass. My neighbor, oh, man, if I could. But after a while, man, you start, your heart starts to get filled with envy. And boy, I just hope his grass turns brown. Right? That, that's the effect that when you're pursuing that thing, where it can lead. Jesus, in verse 15 of this Luke text, says, watch out. He says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life, he said, does not consist in the abundance of his or her possessions. It's not about the things that you own. It's not about the things that you have. It's not about the things in your garage. It's not about the things filling your house. Because greed has a way of whispering to you. And the whispers of greed are actually lies. Jesus referred to it as the deceitfulness of riches in Matthew chapter 13, verse 22. He called them the deceitfulness of riches. How, does, how do riches lie? How does money lie? It says, if you love me, if you lose, excuse me, if you lose me, you lose a very large part of your life. If you lose me, you lose what life can be for you. If I, I am your life, do you realize how big I am? Life will be real life, truly life, if you have me. And so riches starts to whisper this false narrative in your heart and your mind every single day. And so how do we combat the whispers? How do we combat the lies? Well, the antidote is always the truth. How do you combat the lie? With the truth. And so look, at, if you will, at 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we hear more about the truth in the 6th chapter of Timothy as Paul is writing to his young protege, verse 17 and 18 and 19. And Paul says this, he says, Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And I love that. I mean, did you hear that? That's God's heart, that what I provide for you is for you to enjoy. Whether it's a lot or it's a little, whatever it is, it's for your enjoyment. That blessing. Verse 18, command them to do good. Here it is, to be rich in good deeds. What a great phrase. To be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. 
In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Don't you love that, kids? Willing to share. I know how much you love to share. I know how much your mom and dad talk to you about how important it is to share. And when you share, guess what? There's always a blessing in that. There is. It may not seem like it, because you have a couple minutes where I can't play with that thing. But there's something about your heart that gets turned when you start to be a sharer and be willing to share. So it starts young. And I'm glad you're here. Six, seven, eight, nine, learning how to share. Because the antidote to the lie is the truth. So be rich in good works, which is a great phrase. You know, I love it. I forget which part of the Gospels it's in, but it, it, it says of Jesus, he went about doing good. It's one of my favorite phrases. He went about doing good. That's what Jesus did. I love that. I was reading it somewhere. He didn't have a day timer. He didn't have a pocket, you know, he didn't have a phone. He didn't have a calendar, a Google thing. He just went around doing good, healing people, serving people, loving people, teaching the truth to people, lifting people, discipling, teaching, he just went about doing good. That's, that's how he filled his days, doing what his father had called him to do. So be rich in good works, be ready to share, and in the outcome, take hold of that which is truly life. The real life, real life. So the best way to combat the twin towers of greed and envy is to live open-hearted with open hands. And all I have, the posture there is, all I have is a gift from you. Show me how to share it. Show me how to give it. Show me how to pour it out so someone else can experience your love and your goodness and your provision. I love that. I'm not going to say a name, but we were blessed a couple weeks ago. There was a, a person in this church who came by to the office with a a gift for the gospel. And this person had sold some property and it brought some income and they brought a $25,000 check to the office and use it to advance the kingdom in this place. And that was like, wow, this is book of Acts. This is what, you know, hey, this is what they, this is what the early disciples did. They sold stuff, brought it, hey, here you go, use it. And so what, I just, I don't, I share that because that person doesn't want credit. But it, it illustrates the truth about, about saying, I'm, 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 I want to be generous with what God has given to me. He has provided me with enough. I have enough. I'm not lacking anything. So here's some things that God wants to do. He's going to use this. So let the gospel go out. Let the truth of God go out. Let's keep discipling kids and discipling and helping our community. Whatever we need to do to get the message out. That's the heart behind that gift. What a blessing. Brian Wilkerson says that generosity is the healthy habit that frees us from greed and leads us to contentment. When we give money away, when we give stuff away, when we share what we have freely with others, we break the grip of greed. We pry the fingers off of our throats. And sometimes the thing we need most is to have God pry our fingers open 
And I was reading, Heibel's had a, a daughter, a little daughter named uh, Lynn, or his wife was Lynn, daughter Shauna, and she was five, six, seven years old. She got a splinter in her hand. And it was very painful. And they said, you know, we, we need you to open your hand so we can get that splinter out because it's going to make you feel better. And she was so scared about it. She couldn't, they couldn't, they couldn't get her hand open. They said, it's going to get infected. Like, it's going to get worse if we don't get that splinter out. So eventually they had to pry open her fingers and get the tweezers and extract because that was going to become a problem. And so sometimes the illustration is sometimes one of the things that God has to do for us to be healed is to open up our, pry open our fingers when we clutch things and grab things and hold things too tightly. What keeps us from being generous couple things on your outline. First of all, selfishness right off the bat. What did that rich farmer say? I've got plenty of things stored up for myself. Plenty of good things laid up for myself. So eat and drink and be merry. It's all about me. Me, 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 me. Everything I have in that barn is for me. And that's not God's heart. That's not being rich towards God. It was all a gift from God. It was all his, actually, and he allowed that farmer to experience that blessing, and then he took it from self. So selfishness keeps us from being generous. Fear is another one. When it comes to fear, sometimes we focus on what we will lose. Will we have enough? If we give this, what about that? If I give this, then what will happen here? And what, what about that rainy day? I better save up for that rainy day. Here's what I know about God. He has enough for the rainy day. So if he's calling you to give, and some whatever that means for you, just know that you don't have to wait for the rainy day. God has enough resources that when the rainy day comes, he'll provide you with what you need. I really believe that. I'm not saying don't save. Save. Be wise. Be a good steward. But there's some times when God says, no, I want you to pull the trigger on that. I want you to move on that. I want you to... Take that step of faith and trust me that when the rainy day comes, I'll meet you. I'll, I'll, make, I'll make a way in the rainy day. And then the third thing about this keeps us from being generous is what, we, what I call a poverty spirit. And that's a real thing. A poverty spirit, which believes that poor is the thing. That being frugal and shrewd is the highest priority of our lives. And it's interesting because Jesus in, in, in the Gospels, Mark chapter 14, I'm not going to read that right now, but there's a story about the woman who, who takes the expensive jar of perfume. This is right before he is to, a week or so before he is to go to the cross and breaks this expensive perfume jar and uh, pours it over his feet. Mark chapter 14. And Jesus says, there's a deeper thing going on here than expensive perfume. The woman who, who, who anointed Jesus with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, she broke the jar, poured it on his head. Some of those present at the table responded with indignation. What a waste. What are you doing? That jar of perfume could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly, the Bible says. And Jesus turned around and said, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. There's something greater going on here. My presence is here. She's preparing me actually for burial. 
She's preparing my body for what is to come. Just shortly down the road, he was to be betrayed. And this woman's response to God's generosity in her life was what led her to pour out that perfume. In fact, in John's gospel, the 12th chapter, that story comes that it's Mary, who was a former prostitute, who was called out of that life by Jesus. Her life was redeemed. Her life was rescued. Her life was restored. And so now she's so grateful. She's so mindful of what God has done for her. So nothing is too great a price. And the essence of generosity, and please hear me on this, the essence of generosity is that it is an act of worship. So when you're being generous, you are, you are actually worshiping God. It involves sacrifice. It involves going above and beyond. Sometimes it involves pouring out our lives in ways that don't always make sense. Generosity takes us beyond logic and reason. And I know a lot of us like to operate on logic and reason, and that's great to a degree. And then there's sometimes when God says, no, I want to take you beyond your, lo your logic. I want to take you beyond your reasoning abilities because you got some good reasoning abilities, but they're not what, I'm, what I have in mind. I've got more in mind. And so sometimes we get stuck in that place. I love what Jim Nicodem said. He said, many of us assume that we would give more if we had a bigger income. But in truth, we would give more if we had a bigger love. Because income never drives giving. Love does. And you know that. If you have 100000 you have 1000 If you have $100, you have $1. If you have $1, you have one penny. It's not about how much. It's about the love in your heart that drives that response, that worshipful response. And do you know what else will fuel your generosity? It's also a big part of our worship. In fact, we're going to talk about this in a few weeks. We talk about gratitude. It's when we start to get a deeper handle on how much God has done for us. We start to recognize all the ways that he has provided for us. We start to see and understand all the things that he has his hand on in our lives. And so the gratitude and thankfulness begins to drive more and more of our generosity when we're grateful. It frees us to release without having to compare or compete with those around us. When you're thankful, you're not worried about what other people are doing. You're focused on God. This is what you have done. This is what you have provided. This is what you have blessed. And so that response is to you. And there's no other, this noise out here doesn't matter because it's me, it's God. This is what you've done. And that's a really important truth about gratitude and generosity. Why the value, this value is important for us as a church. Because we want to be like our heavenly father. That's how we started this message. We also want this community to experience God's great love for them. And God's not stingy. When you read your Bible, you'll never, ever be able to say, oh, God's, he's a stingy God. No, he is full of grace and full of mercy full of love and full of kindness. And that's where the gospel flows from. So we want our community to know that. That's why I really was blessed by last evening and just how awesome we were out here for the, just the, the party, the block party. And some of you were there and there's some neighbors that came and celebrate family, celebrate recovery family folks came. And it was just an awesome night, beautiful night. So I want to thank everybody that had a part in that and helped with that. And for this church to say, hey, to our community, hey, we're here, we love you. 
We want to, we want to connect with you. We want to help you. And so here's, here's a, a good night in the fall to have a hayride and some French fries and some hot dogs and just have a time, good time together as a way to build a bridge to let people know that, hey, this is what God has called us. He has assigned us to this corner on this block, on this street, in this community for a reason. And that is to share his love, his generous love with people around us all across this area. So we want to be generous with our love generous with our hospitality, generous with our facilities. And that's another thing. I'm so thankful that almost every single day of the week, these facilities are being put to use. We don't, it doesn't sit still here from Sunday to Sunday. There's something happening every day of the week in terms of kingdom mission, kingdom agenda, discipling kids, discipling youth, helping people in the community, being, making this space available, using it hard so that people can know the love of Jesus Christ in their lives. And that's what the kind of church we want to be like. And that's why we're intentionally aggressive about, let's open up the doors. Let's open up the doors. And our time with every resource that God has entrusted to us. So I just want to encourage you, as I was praying this morning, you are. I have a question here. Is this us? And I believe as God's been working in our lives over these years, yes, God is helping us to be a generous church. And Lord, help us to be even more. Help us to be even more generous. We can never outgive you. Thank you for listening to this latest sermon. For more Prof Church, check out our YouTube at Prof Church Lancaster. Follow us on Facebook at Prof Church Life, on Instagram at Prof Church, or visit our website, profchurch.net. Thank you for listening and be sure to make it a great day.